The views, statements and opinions expressed in this episode are solely our own, including our guest, and these do not necessarily represent those of our employers. I'm Georgie and I'm Vijay Tharan and welcome to our podcast diversity and inclusion satisfying the tick box in today's episode we're going to cover entrepreneurship we've got a very special guest Dhruvin Patel who is the founder and CEO of OcuShield to share his personal journey and also his experiences as an entrepreneur with us so Dhruvin welcome uh, can you give us a quick introduction about yourself yeah sure thanks for having me guys um Introduction. So my background is optometry. I studied at City University in London. Uh, whilst I was there, I did some research on how artificial light from screens um, affects our eyes physiology and circadian rhythms. So effectively our eye structures and sleep and wake cycles. And quickly after doing that research, I found that um, artificial light from screens was affecting uh, our eyes by causing eye strain, headaches, but also suppressing melatonin to making it really hard for us to fall asleep, but also have a well-rested sleep. And I was a student at the time when I did the research, so around 2013, 14, and I was using multiple devices. I thought, you know, this is a problem that I need to solve for myself, but also for the future generations as screens are only getting bigger and brighter. So I got a grant from the university, developed our first line of products, and then effectively bootstrapped a, a business by creating a website and shipping products from my university dorm room. Now I'm pleased to say Occhio's a international business. We are an omnichannel business, so as well as selling direct to consumer our medically registered screen filters, glasses and lighting products, which are eye-friendly and um, help with sleep. Um, we also sell into retailers like John Lewis, uh, WH Smith Travel, uh, Virgin Mega Stores overseas, and as well as supplying employers like McKenzie and Barclays with our products. Um, but yeah, we exist to let eyes thrive here at Occhio But yeah, it all started at university when I was studying. And here we are today. Thank you, Juven. And uh, just to clarify, what university was that? City University in London. Hey, we both went to the same uni. I went a couple of years yeah, later yeah. to do my master's, but <laughs> City University, big shout out to you. But we're going to take it back, Juven. Actually, uh, we go back since we're 10, 11, as in year seven. We we actually went to the same school, same year and same class. So how was your experience going to Langfrank? And big shout out to all the Langfrank mandem, as they call it, in Croydon. <laughs> Did that shape you in any way, sort of form? Yeah, I mean, look, Lanfranc was was a really interesting environment. Um, so Lanfranc was in Croydon, was in Mitcham in, within Croydon in South London, and you know, predominantly the school um, was a, a very challenging time for many. I mean, school generally is a challenging time for many. You know, there's loads of loads of different variables happening and you know affecting individuals but I think for us as well it it almost felt like a, a little bit of a jungle where you don't know what to expect every day because we had I remember you know our school was one of those schools that accepted pupils that regularly got um, expelled from other schools schools two or three times and we you know we I think we had a headmaster at the time that was quite understanding in the sense of wanting to give people second chances but you know nine times out of ten I think those those second chances for those individuals probably didn't end up <laughs> right because they just kept on causing lots of mayhem and trouble and we had you know lots of lots of uh, interesting stories that happened at, at Corin let's say from 
children stealing teachers cars when you know on the side we're not even at an age where we can drive <laughs> to, yeah which is which is wild to um you know uh kids kids hitting teachers or getting fights teachers and it was just it was just lots of mayhem but you know for me I think now looking back at where we grew up I think growing up in that environment really gave you know myself the hunger to get out of that that environment because I saw you know my my parents working very hard and you know they they chose Croydon once they immigrated from India to the UK they didn't obviously know about the ins and outs of what the area was like but I saw for them as well you know they the area impacted them in terms of their lifestyle commuting to their jobs or whatever else and yeah for me just growing up in Croydon gave me the hunger and I think a lot of people in in our school also had the same hunger because they came from other you know similar backgrounds where everyone you know was in the same boat where they were you know not not privileged in the sense of financially but also from uh, maybe troublesome homes so I think everyone wanted to do something incredible with themselves in the sense of really drive themselves to you know accomplish something so I think for me that was the biggest learning that came from is the drive which I see from you know people that that came from the school. Thank you for sharing that, Jimmy. And let me tell you something, as someone who's been a classmate of yours, you are definitely a success story from Croydon, from Blankfang, and you keep pushing. And you're, one thing that you've done is inspire the next generations that are coming through as well. So kudos to you, Juven. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. And I think just from what you said about um, your parents working hard, is there kind of anyone or anything in particular that kind of motivates you? Um, yeah, you know, from, from my younger, younger days, it was very much so how can I, how can I give back to my parents who have worked so hard to put food on a plate to take limited holiday, take us on holidays when they could. And naively, I thought business was the was the area where you can make money fast and a lot of it and be able to give back to them. And obviously, from being on the journey myself, it's the total opposite in the sense of, it takes a lot of graft to you actually want you know you, you in business you end up um reinvesting in the early days into the business right you don't want to draw a salary or, or take money out because you're growing effectively a baby which in in the world big wide world where you need to re- reinvest and grow its kind of um visibility in the world and um yeah it's one of those things where uh, it's kind you know i think entrepreneurship can be glamorized in that sense where people think right you know people doing amazing things but actually it does take um some patience and perseverance to get to a point where actually you see one the financial benefits of it but two also the ability to then um you know thrive in, in that environment because yeah it's a it's a journey in itself i just want to ask you and in terms of that then Druvin, how would you talking to your younger self what is the advice that you'd give yourself but also advice to those individuals that are coming through schools like langfran yeah i think um the advice I give to my younger self is um, I think I wouldn't that there isn't much I'd give myself because I think everything is quite unique to everyone's journey right all the learnings and mistakes you make is it allows you to get to where you are so for me um, everything I did from you know from starting a business I, I almost did it blindly most people say create a business plan speak to people I did the opposite I just said right I have an idea I know I want to solve this pain point I'm going to go out there and create something and if people want it they want it if they don't they don't right it was a very linear approach black and white um but you know for me that that worked uh for for individuals that are younger and um you know 
in a position of, let's say, in Lanfranc, for example, and thinking about what, what they do, what they want to do, or potentially what they want to accomplish. I, I think it's just whatever they do is just you know put the hard work in. And unfortunately, there's no replacement for hard work. You know, there's a lot of people that talk about working smart now, um, which is great. You can work smart, but whenever you want to master something or or hone in a skill or create something, it requires dedicated hours. And if if you're thinking about creating something or doing something that's um, outside of the norm, um, the best time to do it is when we are within the education system, I believe, you know, from, let's say, college upward, because you generally don't have any responsibilities. You have no dependents. You know, most people don't have children. You're not you're not paying off a mortgage. Um, you're not doing all those things. And those pressures play a big part in your success because creating anything new and unique requires your 100 percent focus and if you if you have pressures from you know raising a family to financial pressures to whatever else it is it's very difficult and um, you know I applaud a lot of people that start businesses in their later years when they do have those kinds of dependence because it becomes very challenging but if you can start something in the you know in your earlier years alongside whatever you're doing whether it's studying or working you you probably have a better chance of succeeding because there's less pressure on yourself but you're also you're learning as you go along simultaneously with what you're doing day to day. Yeah, I think that's that's really good advice as well for people that want to kind of get into entrepreneurship. And I, I was just wondering, is it always something that you've wanted to do? What kind of led you down that road? I mean, I I wanted to be a footballer when I was younger, but there you go. That <laughs> didn't, that didn't, that didn't work out. As big different. Big. Yeah, I, I got injured. I got injured, so that didn't work out. <laughs> But no, I think, yeah, from, from when I was younger, I, I always had an interest in business just purely be- because I thought that is where you can, um, you know, hit a home run and again, financially reward the people around you. Um, and, and, you know, yeah, you can create something of value, right? So I always saw that and I didn't know where, where that would lead me. But when I went around choosing my course at university, again, one of the big factors was, you know, one, the course allowed me to study biology. I loved helping people, which was great. But also when I did work experience, they said, well, it's quite easy for you to open up an opticians when you're an optometrist. You, there's not a lot of red tape. You can open up your own store and, you know, effectively start your own business. For me, I was like, oh, that's great. You know, that really appealed to me when when I was choosing the, the course I wanted. Um, so that's how, you know, that's how I got to the point in, in terms of being an optometrist. But, um, oh, now I remember actually, as well as being a footballer, I really wanted to be a... Um, a programmer so I loved I loved computers so my my two work experiences I did was working in opticians but also working in an IT store Um, and unfortunately I did computing at A level and um, there was a lot of zeros and ones involved when you were creating creating code and programs but no my teachers didn't tell me actually when you do this as a job or move forward you you almost copy and there's there's loads of you know there's a there's templates out there where you you don't you're not having to hard code stuff and I just thought to myself if I'm going to be doing coding where I'm putting zeros and ones manually for the rest of my life I was like that's not it for me so that put me off doing that actually (laughs) yeah I I don't blame you to be honest it would have done the same for me I think so I've heard that you appeared on Dragon's Den which is really exciting do you want to just tell us a little bit about that yeah sure so um in 2021 i believe was that the year of the pandemic the first year or was it 2020 i think 2020 2020 
2020, there you go, 2020. Uh, your memory is much better than mine, Vijay. Um, so, yeah, in 2020, when um, in March, a BBC researcher kind of sent an email to, to the team and said, hey, we think Okish would be great um, on Dragon's Den. Do you want to apply? And, you know, I've always, I've grown up watching the programme and absolutely loved it. And I've always said to myself, one day I want to go on that show. And I never had the courage to um, go on it in the sense of I always thought, oh, we're not quite ready to go on there. Because in the back of your mind, you're always thinking, hmm, am I going to get laughed out of the room? Is it going to, you know, am I going to lose credibility? Is the business going to suffer? And you never think, oh, I never thought, you know, uh, I found the time to to go on there. But when the researcher reached out to us, I thought, ah, they've come to us. That must give, that must mean that we we must be ready. And I said, right. We have to apply for this. So we, we filled out these forms, we applied, and then we didn't hear anything for six months. So I was like, oh, okay, that must have been a, a bad application. But of course, the pandemic uh, kicked off and, you know, the BBC team were on furlough. And then in September, they got back out, reached back out and said, hey, we'd love for you to pitch to the video producers via um, a Zoom call um, within seven days, which we did. And they got back to us pretty quickly and said, hey, we'd love you for you to come and pitch the dragons in two weeks time after that and we were like whoa okay this is moving this is moving really really fast and um in that two weeks period me and my co-founder Assad we just spent every day pitching in front of each other and practicing our pitch and whatever else right getting ready for um for the dragons and um the studio is actually based in Manchester and we went we went up the night before we went to the studios at 8 a.m and we were kept in our dressing room until like 1 p.m. So it was just us and the mirror. And you don't know whether you want to practice your pitch or your your second thinking something. But yeah, you're just in there for hours. And eventually 1 p.m. came when we when we went out and it was our time to shine to to you know pitch to the dragons. And um yeah, it was a really, really interesting experience. I mean, the pitch went well. Um it started off badly. We got three no's from Deborah, Tuka, and Sarah. And I was like, right, this isn't going too well. <laughs> I'm not too sure about this. And then um suddenly Peter and Ted they they put offers um on the table and they they started fighting it out to uh potentially invest in the business. And at that point, we, you know, inside of me, I was like, right, this is going great. Like this is this is fantastic. Um and then eventually we negotiated to accept an offer from both of them in the den. So yeah, I'd say it, it turned out to be a successful, um successful pitch. I've I've actually watched uh, the episode Driven and I must say you, you both were cool, calm and collected in terms of pitching but also answering questions and it's no mean feat to slay the dragons as they say. And you did. You did get that investment opportunity as well. So I, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I probably would have held the, the like my nerves. It's uh, it, I probably would have panicked. I'd be honest, and especially the fact that you were locked into your room until one p.m. You know, and practicing that, I, I probably couldn't do it. But hey, that's another thing that you've that you've done and smashed out of the park. And I want to ask you then, just tying it back, were there any kind of in terms of your entrepreneurial journey? Are there kind of any barriers or hurdles that you faced, and what were they, and how did you overcome them? Yeah, so being in this um being in this entrepreneurial journey, you don't there's no, you know, you don't learn um right, it's not like education where you do a course and then you go into a job and you put your skills to use. In this journey of launching a business, for example, you lo- you learn as you go along. So the challenge is really one understanding when when you need help. Um, because there are at time, there are at times you're going to need help and advice and guidance. And um, from someone that 
is very um, gung ho. You know, I like to uh, just go and do things. I I don't I didn't step back enough to think about let's say strategy or where the business needs to go. And I give you a good example. So um, now I know that you know you need to spend time working on the business and not in it. And what I mean by that is I spent um, you know in those first couple of years I spent a lot of time picking and packing orders to customers and you know great 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 experience and it's definitely something worth doing if anyone creates a physical goods business because you need to understand the fundamentals but I think I did that for a year or two year too long um, because it was spent I was spending more time doing that kind of work where I could have spent it growing the business and doing something else whether it's creating a new product line doing some marketing growing sales right but it was only when I spoke to an advisor or someone outside and they said, you know, why are you doing that still that, you know, you shouldn't, your time is worth so much more, more, so much more than that kind of um, part of your business. So I think, um, yeah, for me, it was kind of learning that as I go along and getting other people's perspective. And um, yeah, it's really interesting because you don't have the formal education, but what you do have is um, finding mentors and advisors who are, two to five years ahead of you in in business who you know have made the mistakes they know uh what to kind of advise you and guide you in the right way so that's been one of the biggest um aids for me is speaking to people I'm having people around me that have been there done that to provide advice because you know as a as a young person in business you can read everything about Elon Musk and Richard Branson but actually what they're working on is so it's literally in space, right? It's so out there. Uh, if you're comparing about starting something, can their advice really, does that really transpire to what you're trying to do? Can you really relate to it? Because it's so, they're so, you know, different in that sense. And I always say, find someone that's a couple of years ahead of you in what you're doing and get that advice because that's going to be so much more practical and useful than something that you read on, you know, online regarding Elon Musk or Richard Branson, right? Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's very practical advice. And I wanted to come on to in terms of, you know, Asian leadership and representation in leadership or mentorship. It, it has been historically quite limited. And what kind of advice would you give to aspiring Asian entrepreneurs or looking to break through those barriers or asking for that mentorship or looking for mentorship? Yeah, it's 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 a really interesting question because, um, you know, one thing to be said is, you know, Asian entrepreneurs, there's a lot of successful Asian business people out there. Um, and one of the one of the downsides, you may say, is um, they don't like to create a profile around themselves. So you don't know they exist. But there's so many fantastic entrepreneurs. And, you know, it comes back to um, from my, my heritage. A lot of Indians went to East Africa to work because there was a lot of poverty in India. So things like Tanzania or Nairobi and they set up businesses and trade and now they've you know come back to the UK and they own large pharmacy businesses or whatever else. And there's so many um, amazing entrepreneurs in, in the kind of Asian hemisphere. Um, but I think, yeah, for for Asians is, um, you know, one, we we are always being driven to do a do a course which is involves medicine, law or or numbers right and from family because they they know it's the safe bet and you know you have a stable job etc i think um now there's so many you know in in the uk there's so many british asians um there's about i think um six million in the uk 
alone where they're in professional jobs um and in business as well where you can lean on to to ask again you know advice uh guidance or you know what would they do if you know they had the potential problem or idea and i think uh, again leaning on those kinds of people and now it's it's a lot easier to find right you've got linkedin you've got instagram and i'm a firm believer you're probably one person away from speaking to someone you want to speak to so whether it's a Ted Levani from Dragon's Den or someone else it's one person generally you're away from uh, within your network that you can you know speak to and find that connection which is always going to help you in your endeavors yeah definitely and I think um it's obviously really important to have a support system around you um do you feel you've kind of got that support from your family or or not really yeah I, I think it comes back to um that naivety when when you're young and I had this you know I always had this uh thinking around um you know the journey of of business is is quite easy and um you know once you once you start something everyone flocks towards you and you know everyone starts buying what you're creating or whatever whatever else right but it actually is there's a lot of work that needs to be done there and you know there's a point where family and friends also you know play a part where you believe they're going to support you in that sense and um they will initially um but nine times out of ten once you once you grow and you keep doing what you're doing there's a point where family and friends can't relate to what you're what you're doing right because it's a kind of a different journey so actually um you know for me like family and friends is a great time for me to enjoy myself and have a great time but actually um not le- not leaning on them to talk about any business challenges or issues because it's one it's not fair on them but two also they don't have the right um i guess guidance to to help with that so um yeah you know having having the ability to speak to others that are outside of that circle is really important um and yeah i've learned that in this journey thank you again for being so open juven and uh, i saw recently you won the king's award and Coming from Croydon to Buckingham Palace, that is huge. That's something only people can dream of. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, no, it was a it it was a fantastic achievement for me and the team. And um how did this come about? Um so we are involved with a few um kind of projects within the UK ecosystem when it comes to business so you know you have Virgin Startup Loans which is a great provider to help people if they have a business idea but no capital you can get a loan from Virgin Startups Um, and yeah through them I believe um, I came across um, the King's Award and I'd seen this many of times so actually Vita Robotics which is Ted Levani's company I've seen them use this emblem on all of their marketing on the tube so they always had it's like a uh, e with wings on it so it's like enterprise and then angel wings which I, i'm sure you can connect dots on what they're trying to do there but um i saw it said you know four times uh queen's award winners and i always thought wow that that sounds pretty big like that's that's great and then one year i i heard a little bit more about it and i just I started googling it. i said okay there's that's actually a process where you can apply and put your best foot forward to um win an award and of course when when we look to apply um we were applying for the Queen's Award, but unfortunately, of course, the Queen passed away recently, didn't she? So um, it got changed into a King's Award. Um, but yeah, we had to go through a process where we applied for an International Trade Award, which meant we had a business that for three years in a r- row grew significantly. 
um, overseas, which we did. So a lot of our customers are from North America. So 40% of our revenues from overseas. And, um, you know, we send our accounts in, you send an application in on why we should win the award. And um, yeah, a couple, couple months later after submitting, after the deadline, we received an email that said, um, can you just uh, get your accountants to to sign to to verify these numbers, et cetera, all that boring kind of stuff. And then a couple months later from that, you know, we got email saying you, you've won a King's Award. And we were just like, oh, we won, like we won, like from nowhere. We were just like, OK, this is fantastic. Um, and then lots of communication came after that where it was, you know, hey, you'll be invited to a reception at, at the Buckingham Palace to accept your award. And that was really interesting was I thought, wow, you know, it came on this like headed cardboard and it was proper, like sealed nicely. And, you know, for, for people that don't receive letters these days, I mean, a lot of people don't, you know, apart from bills and council tax and whatever else. But um, I was just like, wow, this is cool. And um, I just kept it on my um, my desk for two months because, you know, we had enough notice, but it was just, it was just so nice to look at. And then eventually when we went to Buckingham Palace, um it was a pretty surreal experience walking in but even as we walked in and you know I took my dad with me because for him you know I wanted to also see you know a lot of what I do is 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 online and you know he 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 can't really see tangible uh you know the tangible elements of of my work but and also video you know this as as being someone from an Asian background you know brown parents they're not very good with their words they're not very uh, vocal (laughs) you know so um for them to verbally say anything you don't know if they're proud of you or if you you don't know where they're thinking but anyway this was the one time where you know my dad my dad was outside and he saw there was loads of people outside Buckingham Palace as as I went in and you know they're all wondering what's happening what's happening and I think at that point my dad you know afterwards he said you know he was he was quite proud of me but um he saw me walking into Buckingham Palace and we were um we went into this reception in Buckingham Palace and um King Charles walked in after 30 minutes of us in, enjoying canapes and drinks. And um, they said about 30, so there's about 100 of us there, and 30, 30 individuals that had won awards, they were phoned the day before to say they were going to speak to King Charles. And actually, I, I didn't receive a phone call. Um, so I didn't I didn't know about this. But there was like six six areas where there was five, five award winners each. And um, King Charles was making his way through these different areas so he'd speak and address these kind of five different people at a time and I just thought I haven't come all this way not to speak to King Charles like um, I'm in Buckingham Palace I didn't come here just for a drink um let me try speak to King Charles so King Charles had security around him he had something called Aquaries which are um you know they 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 live in I believe the palace that they're almost like uh uh, servants for or royal servants for for King Charles and I I, I kind of uh, went up to him and I just started speaking to him and said you know that's a pretty big outfit you've got on there because it was pretty heavy and just started speaking and then he said hey do you want to speak to King Charles and I said yeah of course I do and um, he was uh, he was just like wait there for one minute and I just waited and uh, as King Charles went through the fifth or sixth group um, the query told me to stand up went or, or move forward and as I moved forward I went into the line of his path as he's walking so you know he put his hand out and uh he said hey nice to meet you and I just spoke to King Charles one-on-one for about five minutes and um yeah it was it was it was, it was such a strange experience uh in the sense of I wouldn't have thought I'd, I'd have a day when I meet you know King Charles like it was yes but it was it was, it was, it was fantastic it was an amazing experience wow that must have been amazing but for the listeners tell us Juven how was he He's good. He he had a he had a drink in his hand. He's uh he was uh 
he was asking questions, you know, saying how his eyes are buggered. Um, and, you know, I told him that, look, there's only three things guaranteed in life, birth, death and reading glasses. So you're not the only one that thinks uh, your eyes are buggered. But, yeah, we were just we were just chatting. It was, yeah, very nice, very nice guy. Let me let me ask you then, uh, what was his tipple? What was the drink that he was having? I think he had, he was having a white wine. OK, classy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have expected that. I don't know why. That must have. Yeah, that must have been a really surreal experience as well for you um, and your dad as well, probably. Obviously, this is a, a DNI podcast, so I just wanted to kind of ask you why you think diversity, equity, and inclusion is so kind of crucial for business and having that representation. Yeah, so for me, it's it's pretty simple. I think um, you know the world the world we move in is moving fast, and I think for the right reasons, there's opportunities for people from different backgrounds um you know make making their way forward which is so fantastic to see and fundamentally if you look at if you look at business you're 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 selling to consumers and consumers don't look or act in one way right they act in so many different ways so how can you how can you understand a consumer by uh one single perspective so actually having multiple voices from different backgrounds um in in an organization is only going to help the organization thrive and grow forward right so fundamentally if you just look at business it just makes sense um and then from from an ethical point of view i think um you know people like to help people that look or sound like them so actually um you know when doing business you'd find now through um in organizations a lot of legacy organizations where you know there is that stereotype or you know white old males um at the top and you know they just do business with people that look like them right um whereas now if you have people that look um or a different gender then again they're gonna broaden the horizon and diversify the supply chain so for me i think it's really important i think um the uk is probably doing a, a great job at um you know, moving things forward from what I can see, you both are probably going to be at a better pace to tell me about um, how how diversity and inclusion is actually mapping out in terms of statistics. Um, but yeah, I think it's vital. And and again, it's role models, you know, people can see the key people in power uh, positions of power and leadership, um, which is, is super important. And again, from what you said, Driven, you've got to see it to believe it. So you've got to see someone that looks like you or talks like you to really inspire you to go and take that next step. OK, mm-hmm. if that person's done it, I can I can do it as well. Let's move on to Ocushield then. What have you got? What's the exciting plans? Are you allowed to say what we can expect from Ocushield in the near future? Any products or initiatives that you're working with that you're happy to share? Yeah, totally. We're really excited about um, we, we've gone into the software land and actually um 18 months ago we spoke to about a dozen hr directors and chief of staff um because we sell to employers with our kind of physical products and we said hey what do you do when it comes to your team's um eyes and we got one out of two responses one was we provide a voucher scheme so anyone can get an eye exam or two if someone does get an eye exam we allow them to expense it back and when we asked them about engagement statistics um it was only two to six percent of the employees actually got their eyes tested from their work and SMEs were better than enterprises but enterprises were really bad and I thought look we're all using screens to work surely I should be higher on the agenda 
and we dug a little bit on what the pain points were and the pain point pain points were employees didn't like admin around vouchers etc they didn't like time and travel um to get the eyes tested and third some people had anxiety being in a room with a weird optometrist like me for 30 minutes put them off getting their eyes tested right so we thought what could we do to create behavioral change and encourage people to get their eyes tested so we created an online eye screening platform so in under seven minutes any employee from a smartphone or laptop monitor can screen their eyes and after doing it they'll get the results which will say right Vigi, right in your left eye it seems like your prescription has changed your color vision and your contrast sensitivity is also poor here's a pathway for you to get that investigated and then also here's some preventative information uh, for you to read and look at to to look after your eyes and enhance your vision um so yeah we, we launched that in the market in december and we've you know, we're working with companies like Aon and Charles Tirrett to look after their employees with that product. And we're also looking to um, integrate with private medical insurers and cash plan providers to reach more employees. So we're really excited about that because 24% of the UK population have never had an eye exam or had one in the last five years. So that's at least 16 million people in itself that we can target, plus people that do look after their eyes but haven't had the chance to, you know, get their eyes tested. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of those people. I don't think I've had my eyes tested since I was about 10. <laughs> so I definitely need that. And I also think because because we're, I guess, we don't really like traveling places that much anymore due to the pandemic. So I think it's good, really good to have that kind of online platform as well to be able to do that. So, yeah, that sounds really, really exciting. So, yeah, we always end our kind of episodes with a key takeaway. Um, so what would your kind of key takeaway be for our listeners? Uh, my key takeaway would be, yeah, if anyone's listening, it's um, to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, I think in life you can you can really grow faster if you, if you just uh, if you align with that statement, because anything that's making you nervous or uncomfortable one, it means something to you, but two, also there's a there's there's a lot of growth on the other side. And, you know, now very much so my perspective is if anything's making me feel a bit funny, then I know I have to lean more towards it. But yeah, if if you if you learn that from when you're younger, you know, something if I did know when I was younger, I probably would be a little bit more further ahead uh, because I wouldn't have put something off uh, for a long time because I was feeling scared or worried. Thank you so much, Dreaming, for sharing that. And again, it's be comfortable dealing with the uncomfortable. That's where your growth happens. And I actually live by that, so it resonates with me. And thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. I know how busy you are. And thank you for sharing these golden nuggets to inspire the next generations of entrepreneurs. My yeah, pleasure. I wanted, I wanted to say thank you as well. Just um, it's really interesting to hear your journey and also, yeah, your advice has been amazing um and thank you to our listeners as well for joining us this week um please make sure you're kind of following the podcast and spotify and feel free to give it a rating and review as well keep your eyes peeled for our next guest and the episode will be dropping next month thank you again and we'll see you next time on diversity and inclusion satisfying the tick box